Thanks for joining us for this podcast. We hope that it inspires you to follow Jesus. You can find out more about the life and ministry of City Lights Church and how you can connect with us at city-lights.church. Well, thank you so much for sharing your Sunday with us. And uh, if we haven't met before, my name is Andrew, along with my beautiful wife. We are absolutely delighted. It is our delight and our joy uh, to lead this church and to see your wonderful faces every single week. Do you know that church is such a unique gathering of diverse people? I'll bet that apart from church, there are so many people that you would never have had another reason to interact with other than our community and other than gathering around the person of Jesus. So it is just, I believe it is a wonder. Church is a wonder. Church community is a wonder. And I hope that you share that wonder. Well, we're in the midst of our series on Philippians, and our series on Philippians is called Indestructible Joy. And for the next two weeks, I'm going to be spending time in Philippians chapter 2, which is one of I believe, the great chapters in the whole of the Bible. And today, I want to start by talking about motives. Now, if we understand our actions, our words, everything that uh, people experience of us, like an iceberg, you know, with a a standard iceberg, I believe about one-eighth, sorry, one-eighth of an iceberg is above the surface, and seven-eighths are below. So the same is true for every single person, that what is visible, what is interacted, is only a very small part of what is going on underneath. Now, our motives are what drives our decisions. You would know this, right? Our motives are our intrinsic drivers, our reasons. They're the things that motivate us to do things and not to do things. And at the heart of every motive is an interest. It's an ambition, an aspiration or an intention. And so I want to talk about motives. And before we get to chapter 2, I just want to start where the Apostle Paul starts to talk about motives, which is Philippians chapter 1. And he says this, Philippians 1.15, he says, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in change. Now, the Apostle Paul is literally being imprisoned for preaching And sharing the message of Jesus. But what does it matter? The most important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I can rejoice. So what can we learn from this? One thing that we can learn from this is that the declaration, the preaching, the sharing of the message of Jesus is not limited by its messenger. I think that's something that we can learn. When someone speaks the word of God, the message is so pure and so potent 
that it is not contaminated by the person sharing it. That's the first thing we could learn. Then on one level, we can also understand that we can never have pure enough motives to be able to share Jesus with someone. Uh, One time I remember I was uh, having this discipleship conversation, talking about life and Jesus, and I was talking to this uh, young person, and I said, you know, what are you currently like doing for Jesus? Like, what is Jesus calling you to do? They were someone who had had some experience in um, leadership and discipleship, and they said to me, I'm, I'm, not, I'm currently not doing anything. And I said, oh, tell, tell me more, with a smile on my face. And they said, well, I'm waiting until my motives are completely pure before I do anything. And in my mind, I was thinking, you, you're going to be waiting a long time. Because in fact, and we're going to talk about this as we go along, actually there is action required that actually it's in the doing that our motives are purified. It's, there's action required. So we want to avoid what I call motive paralysis. The third thing that we could say is that all of us, one of the features of the human condition globally, worldwide, everybody's included in this, everyone in this room, everyone outside this room, is that we are predisposed to selfish motives and selfish ambitions. Right? All of us have a natural bent to make things about us. So even if something can start with a, with like in a straight line with a pure motive, our natural bent will to be to kind of like just curl it a little bit towards us. And we can take good things, and in fact, the Apostle Paul is saying here, we can even take the best thing at all, the message of Jesus, the greatest thing of all, and we can make it about us. We can These people that he was referring to were taking the gospel, the very message of the, the amazing God came as man who shed his blood and his life for us, and they're making it about them. But you know, and I know, we can take anything that's good and make it about us. You can take preaching. I can take preaching. I can make it about me. We can take this church or you can take this church and you can make it about meeting your needs. What's good for me? We can anything, you name it. We can take family and make it about the individual. We can take marriage, make it about the individual. Any good thing that you name, you can make it about you and guess what it will come very naturally to you you won't even have to try really hard this is the human condition and this morning i want to let us know that we can share the gospel the good news of jesus with any motives okay i'm not saying that you should you can share the gospel with any motives But this is true, and we're going to have a look at this. We cannot build a church that looks, acts, or sounds like Jesus on selfish motives. We cannot build a church that looks, acts, or sounds like Jesus 
on any motives. And sooner or later, and probably sooner, motives come to the surface. And here's two things that determine motives. Time and proximity. If you spend time with someone and you're close with them, pretty soon you will realize their motives and their motives will rise to the surface. I'm not saying that those motives will always be bad. I'm just saying that you'll know what they are. And that's an issue with the human condition. I I remember one time, so I've worked in a a bunch of different uh, churches um, in Sydney and, and in Brisbane and have been volunteer and, and a staff member. I, I remember one time uh, we hired a, a new youth pastor and this guy was like, he was super charismatic, super outgoing and like, tell us about like your passion. He's like, I've got a passion for the next generation. I've got a passion for young people. And so anyway, um, he ran a Friday night youth program, but probably after three or four months, he stopped attending his own youth program. And he's, he, would, uh, he would just kind of delegate to these other kind of teenagers and he would say, look, I've got some other things on tonight. And so his motives came to the sur- surface. Not a good thing. But for us, we cannot build a church that looks, acts or sounds like Jesus with selfish motives. Now, I hope that we could share that goal. I hope that that would be something that we could find universal agreement that when, as we build this church, as God continues to add people, as we grow, not just grow in size, but grow into the very nature and likeness of Jesus, that when people interact with us, they would go, oh, that church, they do a great job at representing Jesus. When you list the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, and people meet someone from our community, they go, yeah, I get that. I see that. I see that integrity. And this leads us to Philippians chapter 2, and this is the main passage for this morning. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, it says this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one Spirit and of one mind. Listen to this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Now, here's a question. What happens when we encounter Jesus? What what should we expect? Now, most of the time, most people talk, when they talk about when they encounter Jesus, most people talk about the outcomes in terms of personal outcomes, right? When I met Jesus, my sins were forgiven. My life was transformed. I received love. I received, I, I was changed. My life was changed. I've, I've now got a hope and a future. And I would say that that is true, but that is only the part of the story. Now, what's happening in this passage 
is the Apostle Paul is saying the outcomes of an encounter with Jesus are never just personal outcomes. They're never just me outcomes. They are we outcomes. They are us outcomes. And in a way, it's impossible for us to construct a Christianity that is solely individual. This passage is speaking against individualism and talking about a corporate response to Jesus, not just a personal response. And as we read it, we need to put a filter not just of me on it, but a filter of we, a filter of us. And I would say that this passage tramples individualism in a very, very wonderful and real way. So the transformation we experience from an encounter with Jesus should be just beyond a me encounter. Now, here's what the Apostle Paul is saying in this passage. If you experience unity with Christ, it will bring you into unity with others in the church. That's what is explicitly what he's saying. The unity of, that you experience with Christ will bring you into unity with others. The care and compassion that Christ has given to you should be evident in the church community that you're a part of. Exactly what he's saying. The close relationship or the fellowship that you have with God's Spirit should be the spirit of fellowship that is in your church community. The deep belonging and love that you experience from God should be evident in a deep affection and a care for the people around you. And he says, if you are saved by the mission of Christ, then you should join in that mission to see others come into relationship with Jesus. Now, a question for us, if we were to give ourselves a scorecard, if we would go round to different people on the street and we would say, How, what are some words that you would use to define the church or your experience with the church? Not necessarily our church, but church in general. Would they say unity? Would they say care? Would they say a deep affection? Would they say are people who are devoting their lives to living like Jesus and sharing his mission? I'm not necessarily sure. I don't know what they say, but I'm not necessarily sure that we would get that resounding message. And so the responsibility, I believe, in whatever responsibility that we have is on us to change the script and change the story. So let me give you three levels of motive and ambition that we see the Apostle Paul lay out here. The first level, pretty obvious, is self-interest. Philippians 2 verse 3. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do you know the main thing that is going to stop us Looking, acting, sounding like Jesus is selfish ambition, self-interest. And the reason is, if you are motivated by self-interest, you can't love anyone. It's impossible to love without giving. And so if we start, our starting position is ourselves, we cannot love. 
And love begins when someone else's needs are more important than my own. That's where love begins. The second level of motive is the interest of others. Okay, so if we live based on self-interest, we cannot love, we cannot be like Jesus. But here's where we start to get into the healthy territory. The second motive, level of motive, is the interest of others. And the Apostle Paul says, Rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Now, the third level appears later in this chapter and probably a little less obvious, but no doubt very, very important. The third level of motive presented by Paul is the interests of Jesus. And Philippians 2, 19, Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you, for I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul is saying that someone who puts the interests of Jesus and the interests of others first is rare. But I hope that as a church community, we would be filled with people of a rare quality that don't just think about ourselves, that don't even make the good things about God and church, even the good things about the Bible ourselves. But we are ones who genuinely care about others and genuinely care about the interests of Jesus. Why is it important? Because in some respects, particularly as you're a leader, if you just look for the interests of others, some of the things that you do will be unpopular. Some of the things that you do will require effort. Some of the things that you will do would be what is right, not necessarily what is popular, and what is good, not necessarily what is easy or convenient. And when we do the right things with the right motives, we make Jesus the hero and we glorify God. And there is a contrast in this passage, a contrast which is when we do the right things with the right motives, we glorify God and we release the fullness of God and the fullness of the image of Christ as a contrast to what we see in this word, vain conceit, which actually means empty glory. We can do things with self-interest that puff ourselves up. They might look big, but they are empty. They're full of hot air, as opposed to things which are full of the weightiness of the glory of the presence of God. So how do we do this? Now, the Apostle Paul expected these things, but he did not expect these things to come easily or automatically. And in this next passage, we're going to look at some of the practical instructions for a local church that the Apostle Paul gave a long time ago that are still relevant to us. And we're going to look at a couple of things so that we can become a church that looks, acts, and sounds like Jesus. So in this next part, the Apostle Paul says this, Dear friends, you have followed my instructions when I was with you. 
And now that I'm away, it is even more important. And the first thing is this. To become a church that looks, acts, and sounds like Jesus, we need to do the hard work of humility to live for God and others. This next part of the verse says this, Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Now, I must admit that growing up in church my whole life, I have never heard this passage communicated in the context of community. I'd always heard it and read it personally in the context of, I've got to work hard with fear and reverence to to work out my salvation. And that is true. But here is what we are saying today is that we need to work hard with the things the Apostle Paul was saying to us to live in unity, to live with a deep care and affection, to live in fellowship. And it is true first of us before it is true of me. There's a TikTok trend started in May. Any talkers in the house? All right. Is that what they say? I'm pretty relevant. A lot of people say, Pastor Andrew, you are so relevant. Nobody says that. In May, there was a TikTok trend, a young lady by the name of Gabrielle Judge. And her TikTok trend that went viral was this one, I don't know if you've heard of it, called Lazy Girl Jobs. Has anyone heard of the Lazy Girl Jobs TikTok? Made the news headlines. Probably not as relevant as me. Oh, <laughs> Did I just puff myself up then? I think I did. Sorry, Lord. So she started a viral trend called Lazy Girl Jobs, and her quote is this, I'm only accepting the soft life, period. She's like, this is me, right? So she defines a lazy girl job, her words, as a flexible remote position that is non-technical, high-paying, and doesn't require extreme efforts or difficult performance goals. She wants to finish the day without any stress or loss of energy. Now, here's what I know. Some of you right now, you're conflicted. You're like, I want that job. And I'm hoping that Andrew is leading us to an altar call where we can have faith to receive such jobs. Now, the point here is not to call that person or anyone lazy. The point here is to say that in the kingdom of God and as a follower of God, being part of a church that looks, acts, and sounds like Jesus is going to take hard work. And if we apply a philosophy, which is, I think is a maybe not always a conscious philosophy, but sometimes a subconscious philosophy. There's a subconscious philosophy that sometimes says, if it's hard, then something is wrong. Have you ever kind of dialed into that? 
okay, this is hard, therefore something is wrong. And in, if there's a, a danger, if you apply just that statement, obviously there's a lot of nuance around this and, and life is complicated, right? But if you just apply a philosophy of life that when things get hard, something is wrong, therefore I must need to make a change, you will never, ever have a meaningful relationship or make a meaningful impact. And I believe that statement is true. right? If we apply that philosophy to the important things of life, to our work life, to our key relationships, whether those be... Uh, close friendships, marriages, family life, if we apply this philosophy that if it's hard, something must be wrong, then we are never going to have a meaningful relationships or make a meaningful impact. And some people apply that to church. Some people say, well, church should be easy because my life is hard. And certainly we are not setting... <laughs> our goal to make a church that is hard. Like we could have an obstacle course, gladiator, ninja warrior, get an elite level of obstacle movement. No, we're not doing that. But neither can we say that church in the way that will change the world, will look, act and sound like Jesus is a church where you just come in, sit down, worship, maybe have a couple of chats which are friendly, and then leave. No, church, at some stage in church, and probably not here on Sunday, This Sundays are a catalyst to action in other areas of our life. Church is person to person. It's growing together. As you build trust, it's encouraging one another. As you build trust, it's challenging one another. As you build trust, it's praying for, caring for one another, looking out for one another. When someone's in trouble, helping other people. When you're in trouble, them helping you. This is what church looks like. And that can't just be easy. That is going to require some effort. And I believe that in our view or in our philosophy of church, the expectation that at some times, not all the time, but at sometimes it's going to be hard, is one of the most releasing things that we could know. Otherwise, if we've always got this expectation, oh, if it's hard, there must be something wrong, we will never imitate Jesus and live out his church. There's a great quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was um, a German, he was an activ activist, in the time of Hitler, he was a, a voice against what was going on. And he died in a, a concentration camp. And here's what he said. He said, but it is part of the discipline of humility that we must not spare our hand where it can perform a service. And we do not assume that our schedule is our own to manage, but allow it to be arranged by God. Isn't that a wonderful quote. I think it's a challenging quote, but I'd also say it is both grounding and releasing. That we, as a church, would commit to imitating Jesus 
in terms of imitating his humility. And I'll be talking more about this next week as part of the second part of chapter 2. But if we don't have hard work, we're never going to imitate Jesus and we're never going to develop meaningful relationships or have a meaningful impact. The first thing, sorry, the next thing that I'm going to say is that Paul goes even further to say that someone who lives for God and others will actually pour out their lives into others. And so to become a church that looks, acts, and sounds like Jesus, we pour out our lives in service to God and others. If we jump to verse 16, he says, But I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God, and I want all of you to share that joy. Here's my personal expectation, that after I am finished ministering on a Sunday and preaching and hopefully pouring out my heart and all the preparation, all the prayer, hopefully pouring into you, my expectation is that I go home tired and I'm like, I just need to sit down or I might need a little nap or I might need to go for a walk, right? Because I have an expectation that sometimes, and for me most of the time, is that I I am going to feel a little bit empty and a little bit drained. And I want to say that in the Christian life, that's okay. You should feel like that when you choose to pour out your life into others. The third thing, and we're going to develop this thought, so this is, is this. To become a church that looks, acts, and sounds like Jesus, we embrace the joy of a life of service to God and others. Now, the kicker here is that Paul says, and I want all of you to share that joy. What is a source of joy? In fact, what is a source of joy that we could call indestructible? A source of joy that's work is a humble life lived in service to God and others, where we pour out ourselves into the work of Jesus Christ and into the people in our community. This is Paul's expectation of where joy is found. Your happiness and your joy is not just going to be found in the experiences that suit you, your own positive experiences, your highs, your great moments, although I hope that you have them. But there is a type of joy that comes where we surrender our hearts and lives to God and we just relentlessly and lovingly with care and compassion to build unity just begin to pour out our lives to God, and we pour out our lives to God. And this is a joy. Mother Teresa, one of the greatest examples of the Christian life that the world has ever seen. Her ministry impacted billions of people, her selfless life. Here's what she said. She said, a life not lived for others is not a life. If we define the life that Jesus said, I have come to give you life and life abundantly, 
part of that life is a life lived in service to others. There is a type of joy, which is hard work, pouring into others, pouring out your life in service to God. I believe that if you're a parent and you've poured your life into your kids, you would know that joy. But remember, Jesus came as a son, father-son relationships. That same feeling of pouring in to the people around you, that's a source of joy. The fourth thing is this. We become a church that looks, acts and sounds like Jesus when we are filled up by the presence and power of God. Verse 13 says, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Here's the pattern of the healthy Christian life. Here it is. Filled up, poured out. Filled up, poured out. Filled up, poured out. I said my expectation is that I should feel drained, but my expectation is also that I am filled. And if I am filled just like any body of water is that is not poured out and refilled, I can become stagnant. That's what selfish desires, selfish motives will do. It will turn us inward and we will become stagnant. We've got to be filled up, poured out. If we're poured out but not filled up, we're going to burn out. It's not God's intention. But we have to stay in that pattern of life in the Spirit. And that's how we stay fresh. And that's how we have the energy and the life of Jesus flowing through us. The final thing. I'm going to say, and we're going to uh, take communion together in a minute, is we become a church that looks, acts, and sounds like Jesus when we surrender our selfish desires in exchange for God's love for others. Here is a personal revelation that Every day I deal with selfish desires. But here's how I deal with them in the presence of God. God changed my heart. I'm not thinking about that right. I haven't done that right. Those words were not motivated out of an interest or love for others or your interests. This is a daily pursuit. There is no magic pill. There is no booster shot that is going to inoculate you from selfish desires. It is about the daily presence, the filling. Part of the filling is the cleansing of the heart, of the spirit, so that we can pour out with love. So why don't you uh, take that communion? It's on the seat floor in front of you. There's two layers there.
Communion is something that Jesus asked us to do to remember Him. What are we remembering? Where do we start? One of the things that we're remembering, remembering is His life of sacrifice. The sinless, selfless God who amazes us with His weakness and amazes us with His humility, who does not rely on His power, but relies on the power of God in order to model to us the way that we should live and the pattern that we should live. So as we come into this part, Naomi's going to sing this song called Resurrender. You can just stay seated and the purpose of this is just reflection. As we're singing the song, in thanksgiving and remembrance of Jesus, just take the wafer and the cup whenever you want. Okay, Whenever you want in the song and surrender your heart. The invitation is to surrender your heart to God, to put Him first. To say, God, I'm up for being part of a church that's known for unity, humility, care, love, all the fruits of the Spirit. So just enjoy the presence of God, re-surrender, and take the communion whenever you want. So help us, God, to please you where only you can see. For every moment matters in eternity. We are your people, and you are our God. And we are your temple, so make us holy like you are. We are your children, you set us apart. So God, for your glory, 
make us holy like you are. Make us holy like you are. And now you go, your people, with your presence. Make us a place where you delight to dwell and may we heed your hands correction oh lord i'll shepherd you to all things well your love as firm as it is tender your law is perfect and your judgment's true. And as we run to re-surrender, you will restore what we return to you. You are restoring as we people and you are our God and we are your temple so make us holy like you are and we are your children you've set us apart and God for your glory make us holy like you God, we just, we take a moment. And God, we just uh, receive. We receive your desire to please you. We receive your desire to live for others. Lord, we pray you'd forgive us for selfish ambition and self-interests that are loveless, that are dry that are brittle and God we just pray you would fill us with the life-giving spirit the Holy Spirit to live for you God Lord I pray for anyone who feels dry anyone who feels like they've given out Lord would you draw them into your presence would you draw them into your presence Lord I pray for those that are yet to take that step of living a life in service to others. Lord, would you lead them gently and point them into their area of impact and mission? God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Just while your eyes are bowed, sorry, your, your eyes are closed and your head is bowed, just want to provide an opportunity for anyone who has never taken that first step to recognize Jesus as God and say, God, I want to give you my life. I want to take that first step to follow Jesus, to become a Jesus follower. If that's you and you want to take that step, would you just let me know by just lifting your hands so that I can see you and, and pray for you in this moment? Is there anyone here who wants to take that first step? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we, we want to follow you, God. Lord, we pray this week 
We wouldn't just go back into the day-to-day, Lord, but our schedules would be interruptible. That our hearts would be easily moved to love others, to care for them, to be generous to them. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for this message. We hope that it has inspired you to follow Jesus. You can find out more about City Lights Church at city-lights.church.